Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Rocky Mountain, Crank Brothers and Misspent Summers. As you might know, after years of secret development with some of the world's top athletes and testers, Crank Brothers have recently launched their first range of shoes. They have flat pedal and clip options and all of them come with a regular lace option, a speed lace option and a bower option. They're designed to pair perfectly with the Crank Brothers range of pedals, but also with the multitude of other pedal options available. I've been testing the Boa version of the flat pedal shoe, the Stamp, and the Mallet E, which is their more enduro-focused clip shoe, and I have to say I'm genuinely impressed. The first thing you notice is just how comfortable these shoes are straight out of the box. The sizing is bang on for my regular shoe size, and there are no hot spots when walking or riding in them. Then you spot the little design touches like rubberized dots on the inside of the heel cup to stop heel lift and the strap running through the shoe itself rather than an extra buckle so it's reducing weight and improving durability. The boa closure is the most expensive of the options but I'd say it's worth it. It's completely friction free or it certainly feels like it so that lace tension spreads so evenly around your foot making the fit and the hold incredible and then you can just pop the boa open which makes getting your foot in and out of the shoe easier than any riding shoe I've ever owned. I'll talk about the flat pedal shoe specifically today and they've done a great job there which is hardly surprising when you find out that the sole was designed by an ex-Michelin rubber specialist. It's got a decent amount of grip to walk in and the pedal grip is really impressive striking a great balance between your foot staying on the pedal but being able to make those micro adjustments in foot position when you need to. In short, Crank Brothers have done a great job so if you're in the market for some new shoes then check them out at crankbrothers.com or at your local Crank Brothers stockist. Misspent Summers are behind the awesome Hurley Burley and World Stage books and are made up of a crew of incredibly talented people who love riding bikes and have a passion for great photography and amazing stories. If you're looking for something that covers the action from the 2020 season with a load of amazing photos that you've not seen before and great unique writing to go along with it, then you're in luck. They've just released their 2020 mountain bike yearbook, Meltdown. This thing is a work of art, packing over 240 pages with incredible photos and writing that serves as a memory of some of the good times that 2020 managed to provide. It's a great read, a perfect addition to any coffee table, and given how unique 2020 was, it really is a piece of history. Believe it or not, they even asked me to write a little article for it, which is a massive honour and I'm stoked to feature in something this good. You can get your own copy by heading to misspentsummers.com forward slash meltdown. And as a downtime listener, you can get yourself a lovely free Misspent Summers wall calendar with your copy of Meltdown until the end of March. All you need to do is use the code MELTDOWNTIME at the checkout. That's MELTDOWNTIME, all one word, all lowercase. So head to misspentsummers.com forward slash meltdown now. For the hardcore downtime fans amongst you, there's some lovely organic t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available to show your support over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. They're great quality, they're available worldwide and they ship without any single use plastics too. All the proceeds go to helping improve the podcast, so a big thank you to everyone who's already brought something. Please make sure to give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's a great place for you to get involved and I'm always interested to hear what you think. So join me and the rest of the Downtime listeners in the comments over there. This week's show is also supported by Rocky Mountain. Rocky started way back in 1981, making them 40 years old this year. They spent those 40 years exploring trails all over the world, but their research and development centre is located on Vancouver's North Shore, just minutes away from those world-famous trails. It's there that they build their prototypes, test out the new designs and gain inspiration for their brand and product. 
You can tell that Rocky Mountain has been around for a while as they've got the best website address. And I'm pretty sure you remember this one. It's bikes.com. So to learn more about Rocky Mountain and see what they have to offer, you can head to bikes.com now. All right, this week on the show, I'm joined by Rocky Mountain athlete, Jesse Melamed. Jesse is always a popular guest on the show, and he certainly didn't disappoint with this in-depth chat. We get stuck into his 2020 season, taking the EWS overall and dealing with COVID. We also get pretty in-depth on getting his new bike set up, and we end up chatting about Formula One. Jesse is a technically focused athlete at the very top of the sport, and he has plenty of interesting things to say. So without further ado, here's Jesse Melamed. Jesse Melamed, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? I'm great, thanks. How about you, Chris? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, and uh, I've been keeping up to date with your Instagram of late, and it looks like you've had some pretty good snow over the last couple of months. How's it been? Yeah, I mean, I live in a part of the world where we have good snow every year. It just depends how much I take advantage of it. So this year, I guess with the delayed season, I've subconsciously been a little bit more okay letting myself go skiing. In the past, I like... It's not the it's not the best training day, but this year I didn't buy any passes, so it's just only ski touring, which is definitely pretty good. You know, long long days out there, so yeah, getting out and um, it's been yeah, it's been really. Actually, hasn't been the best snow year, but I've just been getting out and taking advantage of it. Cool, and that I guess it counts as part of your training, right? Ski touring is pretty hard work. Yeah, it's borderline for sure. It's it definitely is hard work. Like we're doing. I don't know, kind of like enduro days where it's six, seven hours out and and then pretty intense like ski down. So it's pretty similar. It's just not quite to the level of like, you know, the aerobic capacity of, of biking. But I would say it's it's pretty good training for sure. At least, yeah, that's, at least that's what I'm telling myself because it's it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get worried about the injury side of things? I guess you hinted it a little bit. You've got a later start to the season this year. But... Yeah, I mean, don't bring that up. I try not to think about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I'm I'm a good skier. I've skied for a long time and I obviously do get carried away as we've seen on my bike doing crazy stuff, but I, I try to keep it well within my limits so that I'm not risking injury doing anything there's nothing that i'm gonna do and i'll be like oh like this is kind of sketchy so yeah it's in the back of my mind but i mean you can walk down the street in a nicey day and you can crash and hurt yourself so i'm yeah. not gonna stop myself from doing things that are fun just because there's a risk of injury or else i would do nothing for sure yeah it makes a lot of sense well let's let's talk a bit about the last uh, year or so and last time we caught up you were away testing i think getting ready for the season to start but as we all know now, it didn't quite start as mm. any of us had planned. Yeah. Um, how did you feel when you found out that things were starting to get cancelled and it was starting to impact the racing? It was definitely, yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough blow. Um, I'm sure for a lot of people it was really hard. And uh, yeah, I remember kind of feeling a little bit lost direction-wise. Like, you know, so much of my life is put into racing and, and I'm really someone who, like, 24 seven, I'm thinking about it and every little decision that I make in a day kind of is with, um, performance in the back of my head. So I like doing that. That's, you know, why I'm, I'm doing this. It's my passion and I love, and I love to do what I do, but it, it, when, when the racing went away, I was kind of just like, what do I do? <laughs> so that was, that was tough. And we were actually on a film trip uh, at that point when it just happened, kind of like it was, it was canceling i think on our second last day of filming with uh for the smith um that helmet launch the full face and 
so it was good that we were kind of with people and we were still doing something at that time. And then we we're like on the ferry back and it was kind of like, well, you know, we, we, we shouldn't have been there, I guess, in hindsight, because we we're with a bunch of different people from the States and all that, but that ended up being fine. And it was just, yeah, we we're all just kind of dumbfounded. We're like, wow, racing's canceled. Like who would have ever thought this would have happened? Um, and then, yeah, like a few weeks later, I, I got, I kind of really enjoyed it. I was like, this is, you know, this is an opportunity to take a mid career hiatus and, and not have any downsides to it. So uh, I had, you know, I have great roommates and just had a really good time making good dinner, good drinks and kind of being a, I wouldn't say like a delinquent or anything, but just kind of not being an athlete all the time, not where every part of my life is directed towards some sort of performance. And that was quite free. I, I felt a lot of freedom in that. And that was uh, pretty great, honestly. Um, but for me, which I always know only lasts like that lasted maybe, I don't know, three weeks. And then I bought some kettlebells and just became a kettlebell athlete. So I always need something <laughs> to do, but it was, it was a really nice break in the beginning. And then, and it was, again, it was like one of those things where, something like that happens and you, you have the time to focus your energy on different things. So yeah, I kind of just tried, you know, I tried doing more yoga and, and more things like that to, you know, is this something that I should be doing? Cause I never really got down with those things and I still don't. So <laughs> tried some things, <laughs> didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't like some things, but yeah, it was, it was, it was tough in the beginning. And then yeah, it's just a mindset shift. And that's something that I learned as well. It's just you have to kind of use things to your advantage and shift your mindset. And it was, it was good practice for that. And here we are. Things haven't changed much, but they have changed a lot. Yeah, it's been a really strange year. Do you, do you ever, as an athlete in that situation, do you ever sort of worry about your income effectively? Because your your job is racing and suddenly you can't do your job. And there's a lot of people around the world that are in that position, you know, non-athletes that have been, mm-hmm. the businesses have been forced to close or whatever, but was that ever a worry for you or do you guys kind of feel some level of security there? I don't really know how it works. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I had some, I mean, I actually didn't have worries, I guess, but there was things coming out and like anyone else we had, I mean, we had our pay affected just because we're not racing and we get paid to race. So um, you know, rock is a business and they're trying to make sure that they survive. So they definitely cut our pay for a little while. And, you know, that was something that was kind of mutually agreed upon just cause you know, it, it's fair. And eventually uh-huh. because we had racing, um, it wasn't so bad, but I know that a lot of people in the industry, like a lot of athletes, it was, it was kind of really dependent on, on the company, but a lot of athletes kind of had some sort of pay structure amendment. And some didn't. So it's, that's kind of just the way it goes and all things. But yeah, I, in the beginning, I wasn't too concerned because I was like, well, you know, in the winter, you pay me a full salary and that's just because I'm training and doing what I need to do to be the best. So why would that change just because we're not racing? Like, I understand that we aren't, we might not be racing at any point. So I do agree that for a period, it makes sense that I wouldn't get paid. Like the months that we're supposed to race, you know, I, I shouldn't get paid a full salary because all those kind of down months of training that you pay me for are offset by the fact that I do this racing. So if that racing yeah. isn't there, then yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty, you know, understandable person and, and a fair person. So 
I definitely agreed with with part of it. I was like, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I feel guilty taking money for something that I'm not actually doing. Uh-huh. Um, so then, yeah, I think, and then going into this year, I mean, to jump ahead, I mean, I, I had to sign a contract. So I kind of, that wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about this whole coronavirus thing and, and limited race. I knew we would be racing. And then just the fact that it might be limited, I was like, look, that doesn't change what I do and, and the level that I do it at. So yeah, it, it definitely was an interesting, uh, interesting time for all of, all of these things. Yeah, definitely. Does it, does that make you think a bit wider about the things you do alongside the race? And like, I mean, you'd already started a YouTube channel before this all happened, but a lot of athletes have gone harder or got into that area. Is that something that you maybe put more focus into now? It was just uh, something to do, honestly. Like it's like Instagram. I don't do it because I, uh, I don't do it because I need to. And that's like a signing bonus or whatever. It's just like, I need something to do and I know people like it. And, you know, again, like I feel like every one of these things I bring up my brother, but he's just, he's very, he's very good at these kind of things. And he's just, he was always telling me to do these videos because I have all my racing and training videos from the EWS. And he's like, you should just do these at home and go through like how you dissect a trail and all this stuff. And I was like, ah, whatever. And then when I had all the time, I was like, well, yeah, this is perfect. I can't really, you know, there's a time I'm sure it's the same in the UK, like, people didn't really want you to be shredding too hard because of, you know, putting strain yeah. on the hospitals. So going out and filming was kind of perfect. And yeah, I just kind of did that and, and it took off. Like it was, I mean, I got a way better response than I expected and, and I, and it was really great and fun, but it was, man, it was a lot of work. Like I was putting in easily, like in the beginning when I was learning things like 40 hour editing weeks, trying to get those videos put together. Cause yeah, I just have these ideas and like comparing my race line and practice line, like side by side and learning how to do that was just like, man, it took so long. So it was, I got, <laughs> I got a little bit burnt out. That's for sure. That's why there hasn't been a video in like five months. Cause I'm like, you know what? I love doing these and I know people love them, but for myself, that's not my job. I'm not a YouTuber and I really just want to train and I don't have any energy besides training to put into those videos. So They'll come back for anyone that's listening, but I just need to do them on my, on my own time so that I enjoy them as much as other people do. For sure. Yeah. It's a huge amount of work, but yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed watching, especially the trail breakdown stuff. I find that yeah. super interesting to well, see how you break down a trail to get mm-hmm. from top to bottom as fast as possible. And I like those. Cause like, yeah, I don't need to break down each trail for everyone. Cause you're never going to ride those trails or maybe you will, but it's just the fact that if you put yourself in that situation, I'm going to get on this tangent of like, Oh yeah, then you do this and this. And like, so it's kind of, you know, the, um, sections of trails or like a trail feature that you'll have on your trail. I'll go through how I would do it. And then you can take that to your trail. And I think that's pretty, um, applicable for anyone that's riding trails that have a similar trail feature. So I think it, I think it worked out well. And yeah, I mean, like I said, it was really fun. It gave me something to do. So yeah. But yeah, like you say, it's the editing part. That's the tricky bit, isn't it? And the filming, like you kind of, I mean, I, just the way I am, like if I'm doing something, I don't do anything half-assed and I need to be really good at it. So I, I kind of overwhelm or intimidate myself with the effort that I have to put in to put out like really good content. And so my channel was like pretty, I would say like raw compared to a lot of others. And I was like, well, I want it to be you know really cool. And then I was like, well, I can't like that's not my job so I'm 
I had to hold myself back. And I, I really liked, it was definitely also effort at the, at the races to do more uploading, like more practice and, and the race videos. Um, and so that's like a little bit extra thing that I was putting in, which I'm definitely happy that it didn't affect my racing. Cause that's one of those things where it might be a distraction and, and something like that, but it obviously ended up not being a distraction. Um, but those are like, yeah, dealing with the shitty Airbnb internet and, in uh, Europe, like leaving my computer open overnight, all night, trying to upload a video on shitty internet was pretty funny. But those ones I thought were really cool and, and get a, give a really cool insight for something that, you know, Enduro does struggle to get content out. So mm-hmm. I think it was cool to give like a different different perspective on it. And I mean, also just lucky that I, I won and had the race winning videos. I think looking back, I, yeah, just, yeah. I go back and watch those videos and I'm like, what did I do right? And you're like, man, not like not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're a critical guy though there's yeah. obviously a lot that went pretty well and it was cool like having uh all my competitors like i remember adrian Dai and and some other guys commenting being like you know i went that faster like i didn't i didn't see you do anything crazy like i guess you expect when someone wins that they're just gonna like like demolish the trail but i, I think i was just very smooth and consistent on that one and just didn't really put a foot wrong but yeah, definitely it was in- yeah. incredible to watch like especially the intensity i guess over that period of time like you can hear how hard you're working yeah and, i mean you know they're long stages and that's something that i didn't really understand was ever in question like i remember trophy of nations what's that that's two years ago now yeah 20, yeah 2019 mm. uh we had reese Werner on our team and um yeah he was saying he's like wow i didn't realize that's how hard you had to go in an enduro stage and he's really, he's obviously really good. He's super fit and he's, he's had some really good results, but I think it's one of those things where you just, you, you get into this idea of things and maybe you don't realize that, yeah, you're, I'm pushing to the absolute max to about blowing up where I can still control my bike and see straight. But you also know like how a stage evolves. So that stage is at like, it was super technical. So I wanted to be quite cognizant for that section. And then when it gets to the bottom, I was like, okay, yeah, it's still a bit technical, but there's a lot of pedaling and you just have to hammer because you're almost at the bottom. So like if I crash because I'm really tired, well, I mean, that's a risk I take, but I also need to be going absolutely red line through this part. So it depends on the stage for sure. Yeah. It didn't look like you were doing a lot of resting to be fair. No, there's no, I mean, resting is like, you're resting if there's a nice straight downhill that you can't pedal on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, there's not really much resting in an enduro stage unless it's 20 minutes long. <laughs> Fair play. Let's chat a little bit about the the bikes before we get too much into yeah. the 2020 season. So I think you were going to start the season on the sleigh. You'd spent quite a bit of time on that in the off season. You were getting on well with it. And I don't think the, um, the altitude was going to be available. Was it for the start of the season? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so like last yeah. time I had a call was in I was in Phoenix because I needed to get some time testing the Slayer for like different conditions because we were supposed to be in Chile that year. So I wanted to go and go somewhere that wasn't you know wet and muddy in Squamish. So I needed to get some dry and and loose stuff, and that was that was going pretty well. I made a lot of progress that week, and yeah, I guess. Um, and I think I said it in that podcast probably, but just quickly, like I did that race in in Mexico two falls ago, and my bike got stolen. So I had to borrow a, a bike and she had a slayer 
And right at the site, I was like, damn, this thing is sick. Like, I couldn't believe hopping on someone else's bike on the 650B version, no less. So like 27.5, 180 mils of travel, not any of my parts or anything. And I just had an absolute blast. And I was like, I kind of messaged Rocky as soon as I got home, like, hey, I need to try this bike. Um, and I, like, it was in the pipeline that I would get one, I'm sure, eventually. But I was just like, I need to test this because like, maybe I want to race this, you know, bridging the gap between altitude. And they they got me one, and that was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, so just spending time on that bike. And I, it was more the just, yeah, the updated fit, the updated geometry. Um, and it really worked. It's definitely a, a bigger bike, and it, it was kind of nice in some parts. But it's also not like a everyday agile agile bike but yeah got that one pretty dialed in and we were planning on starting the season on that and i i was pretty excited honestly i was like okay i think we're gonna have a pretty good advantage you know switching to a newer bike and then having another new bike that summer to switch to uh with the time to get 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 up to speed on it um and i was also like it'll bridge the gap between the sizes because sizing just keeps going so big so my instinct was like a four 30 reach and then my mm-hmm. slayer was a 442 and the altitude's a 450 so like i was like i can't jump from a 430 to a 450 reach so the slayer will be a good kind of stepping stone to that and that was another reason i did it um and yeah i love that bike i still i mean i still have it the same one in my garage and i still ride it quite often and um it's it's pretty amazing how good that bike is for like its intentions, you know, like it pedals really well for being a 170 mil, you know, free ride bike, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a big bike for sure. And then when, when did you, when did you first get the chance to ride the altitude then? Cause uh, were well, you hinting at the fact that you tested that last time we spoke? I think so. Yeah. I must've been pretty coy about that. Cause we couldn't talk about it. It was supposed to launch, I think originally it would have launched Crankworks and we'd have it um, the Euro trip before that, I think. I think we were supposed to go to uh, – were we racing Madeira that year? I, I don't know. Sometime sometime in May we were going to a race and uh, we'd bring the altitude um, and race it for that Euro block as like the cool wrap job that we had, that, the ride wrap like camouflage. We'd race that for the for the races. Yeah. Um, and then it would launch in Crankworks. So, yeah, I knew uh, – I knew that that would, that would happen. So um, how did you go about getting that set up? Cause I think I'm sure I read somewhere that you ended up kind of changing mm-hmm. some of the setup chips to get it from a leverage rate and chainstay length perspective to be yeah, very so there's, similar to the Slayer. This was a tough one. Cause yeah, again, like I, I like to please everybody and people were getting upset that we were changing this bike. But the thing is, is, and I was going to go into this, like, Slayer was a stepping stone to the altitude, but uh-huh. I don't know if it's really tough getting new bikes as professional athletes. Cause you know, I spent, you know, I spent three years on the old altitude and then three years on the instinct or maybe two, two and a, two and a bit years. And you just, you're two years of dialing that thing in. It's not like you get that thing, you get on it and you dial in some cockpit stuff and you're like, okay, sweet. It's like two years of little minute changes every month. I don't know, every year. And, the thing just just becomes such a weapon in your hands because you're so used to it. So then Slayer, like changing the Slayer, I had a you know tough time, and it's it's funny looking at Mexico where I jumped on a random Slayer with 800 mil wide bars, like not my tires, not like carbon wheels, 
and had a super good time. And like, I didn't, I wasn't having good stage results. Like I remember trying, cause again, I just hate sucking. So I was like, okay, I, I gotta like, I can still win this race. <laughs> and I think I won maybe a, a stage or two, but I was just like, I was, I was definitely still surprised at how good I was on that bike. And then conversely, I got a bike with all of my parts, like all of my sponsors and set up the way that I think I want it. And like, yes, you jump on the bike and it's sweet. But then as soon as you start trying to go faster, you're like, oh, this just doesn't work. It's like just li- these little things. Like it's just, it's just not, it's not working for me. And so setting up a bike to race is really tough. Like it, I just find it takes forever because you got to find what works. You got to find what doesn't. Um, so I did that, you know, I had all winter for the Slayer and then you get the altitude and you're like, okay, it's not going to be that bad. Like I, I know this is going to take some time which is why we wanted the bike early before racing so we could dial them in. And, um, yeah. So what we did and like, yeah, it's a blend of like theoretical and actual. So, you know, theoretically making the altitude a lot more like the Slayer was what I wanted to do. So asking engineers, make us the custom chip set, make us the custom rear end chip, um, just to kind of make it, as much like the Slayer as possible. So then from there you can like have a good base. So you're like mm. confident changing because you're like, okay, I already know that I have the bike set up properly. And that's what's happening this winter is I know that I have a bike set up. That's obviously really good. And so now I can kind of start changing it into what the bike is designed for. But yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, and there was new suspension that year from Fox, which is always, you know, good and bad because it's completely again it's another thing that you just have to start from scratch on and with a new bike it was kind of a lot and we didn't have our usual test sessions because of covid so that was really tough that was probably one of the toughest things actually those are pretty underrated honestly is like if you get a new bike and new suspension and you don't have fox text to help you dial it in like man it takes a long long time to get that stuff going because we're super lucky we have a fox uh service center in burnaby at the race face headquarters in in vancouver and uh-huh. the fox tech there's super nice so like we would just be taking shocks to him like every week getting a new tune new tune new tune and just trying to find our find our shock tune and um that was that was pretty cool and yeah, so everything, I mean, obviously everything came together and i'm super thankful for everyone that had a hand in that because it was a lot of a lot of work to, to get that bike dialed in. Obviously like you can hop on that thing and be fast, but to hop on it and win and like put yourself at, you know, the absolute limit is uh, not an easy thing to do when your bike is kind of brand new and everything's brand new. Definitely. And there's some fair changes there, right? You went from air to coil on the rear shock here. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I don't know why, like it just, it just worked. I think the, <laughs> I, I think the engineer actually told me that the altitude is less progressive than our past instinct, which seems weird because I couldn't run the coil on the instinct because it was just too wallowy. Um, but it's okay. also possible that a new Fox coil is just that much better. So who knows? It just, it definitely worked. I felt like with the air shock tune that I had on the bike at the time, I, I couldn't get the bike to sit. And that's where a lot of these problems came from is the bike just wasn't sitting the way that I wanted it to. And I, I just wasn't able to be in my comfortable position. Um, and I was really struggling, like all through Crackworks that summer series, like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Um, and that was just, I think, cause I hadn't been able to get the, the MY 21, like Fox X2 
dialed in like the air shock because I, I ended up just switching to my Slayer and racing me downhill and my Enduro on the Slayer because I had the old X2 on that bike. I had it dialed in and, and that's when I finally started doing well in those races is because I just rode my rode my Slayer with that that shock. And then okay. I for some reason, you know, I always try to think of all the possibilities and I'd gotten a coil shock that was sized for the Slayer. I got it resized by the, the Fox guys and I think I put that on a day before going to Europe because we were obviously super busy at Crankworks and I put that on. I was like, oh, like just what a relief. <laughs> the bike just finally works. And, and all these changes, like with that, the custom chipset in, in the Ride 9 and the rear end, I feel like all those did kind of come from the theoretical from the Slayer, but also because I wasn't, I wasn't sitting, just I was just slightly off on the bike and I was just trying to find a way to make it feel more comfortable and um, yeah, it was, it was tough. But then as soon as I switched to the coil, I was like, Oh, like all of that's gone away. Like, I feel like I could go back to whatever, the, whatever the stock chips I would have run, like probably position two or three on the stock chipset, and then whatever the chain stay. And I probably would have been fine, but I was also too scared. Like I wasn't going to change anything. Like we, I was hopping on a plane yeah. to Europe. I was, you know, arriving next week. I'm racing Zimat. Like I'm not changing things that close to the race even though I just said I changed to a coil, but that was a positive change. So that was fine. <laughs> and then after that race, I was like, okay, well, I'm not changing anything. I'm just whatever. Like, this is the bike I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to finish the season on it because it's obviously working well. And then I'll, I'll ch- start changing things in the winter. Yeah. When you say it wasn't sitting how you want it, can you explain <sighs> a bit about what you mean? Is it about like the support in the mid stroke or? It's more like just the minute reactions on the rear end. Like I felt like, it wasn't reacting the way that I wanted it to and expected it to. Um, yeah. I mean, all I can say is that I know that my Slayer with my, the way I'd had my old X2 set up, which came from a bike that, you know, or from settings that we had dialed in with Fox previously is like that shock just works so well. It worked exactly the way I wanted it to. And all the, it's not the big bumps, it's the little bumps where like you're going down a trail, it's not super steep and it's just kind of like bucking you in a way that you don't really expect it to. And then when you are kind of like landing into a compression or something and then you want it to turn a corner, it's just like it maybe goes too far or like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was just, it was just me in the suspension setup. Like I just, I couldn't figure out the the suspension set up on that coil kind of by myself without a Fox tech, I guess. And Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, I just didn't react the way I wanted to. And so sitting in the bike, like I mean, in my neutral position when I'm just going through whatever terrain and, and doing whatever it's the base of it wasn't comfortable, I guess is the, is the way to put it. I wasn't like, wasn't an an extension of me where a bike that's fully dialed in is like, I can do no wrong because I know exactly how my bike's going to react. And yeah. that's kind of the issue it just wasn't i just wasn't a confident it wasn't confident inspiring so um that was kind of the issue with it and yeah i think i mean i still haven't actually uh tested the air shock yet so i don't know how to fix that but the coil's working pretty damn well so i'm just gonna keep that for now yeah definitely and they, that altitude like you said it's a little bit longer mm-hmm. than both the instinct and the slayer and you, in the past you've always run I think 32 mil stem, but you've gone for a 40 on that. Yeah. Can you explain a bit about how you've ended up there? Cause that seems counterintuitive good, to some extent. Good investigative work. Um, yeah, this is <laughs> kind of a funny story actually. Um, I mean, it, it kind of comes back from 
going back, reassessing all of my crashes and trying to figure out why I crashed the same way so many times. And I think part of it is the way the, yeah, the bike geo and just 32 mil stem. I was, when I'm cornering, I'm pushing my front wheel rather than cornering over my front wheel, I guess. And um, we went to a testing trip in Port Angeles, which is in Washington, just south of the border um, before COVID, obviously, like in I think January, February, I just got in the Slayer when I'd gotten home. So I just be- built up my Slayer and I was like, yeah, I'm down to go do some testing runs with Remy and Miranda and, and a couple other friends. And uh, Brianna Atkinson and Jill Kittner were there. And so everyone's just shuttling and we just got into talks as they had just gotten the new think it was maybe the site at that point whatever the uh-huh. the newest Nurka. i think it was the site and they're like oh this bike is so big it's so long and i was like yeah i mean same with me and i was like are you gonna like shorten your stem or something and brings like no 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 never like 40 mil stem if you can run a 40 that is the best length of stem like 50 if your bike's too short but i would never go shorter than a 40 and i was like well why he's like it's just and I mean, obviously this is his, you know, he's probably got a pretty stubborn opinion, but he's like 40 mil stem is just the best length for cornering feel and weight over the front, like depending on your front center and all that. And I was like, huh, okay, like, sure. And then, yeah, I think I just put a 40 on the Slayer and God, I was like, yeah, okay, the bike's definitely bigger and it's longer, but I see what he's saying. It, it puts me in a lot better position cornering. And that's something that I... I think cornering is probably like my worst skill if you want to break skills into a very large category. I just, I'm not a great, I don't have great technique and I just, I don't know, coming from XC, I never practiced that stuff. And so I felt like I needed all the help I could get. And so again, going to a bigger bike from Slayer at altitude, I was like, okay, well, I definitely, obviously I tried all of them. I tried different handlebar widths and, and uh, different stem lengths just to, make sure and i was like i don't i didn't i didn't notice enough negative effect on the length of the stem as much as i noticed a positive effect on the length of like the longer stem to kind of corner and put me in a better position so that was a super interesting thing because i went to a way bigger bike plus a longer stem so but now we're at a point where like you know is my bike too big it's uh I don't know. this bike isn't built around me right so it's like it's interesting. Like Remy's prop, like I think Remy's gone back to a me- and he's on a medium right now, which I'm on a medium and Remy's five. I don't know. What is he? Five, 10, five, 11. Uh, I'm five, seven. So, you know, well, we're going to be on the same bike. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I can't quite get my head around the 40 mil thing. Cause it feels like, well, I guess maybe it pulls you further forward and puts more weight on the front is that why it's just like where if you if you imagine like the leverage on your front tire patch like Hmm. you're putting yourself yeah i mean it's eight mils from a from a 32 mil stem it's not a lot and maybe this is all placebo in my head but it's (laughs) it's eight mils of rotating your center of mass tiny bit forward which might be evening like the uh the pressure on your front and rear wheel and when I go into a corner and I have, you know, my weight on my outside arm and I'm pushing down, it's eight mils farther forward, which means it's more over top of the front tire contact patch rather than like behind it and pushing forward because you're kind of driving okay. through a corner. So it's changing the angle and the like, yeah, the angle of pressure on your, on your tire. And it's yeah, it's super minute, but I think this all comes from like moto racing and, and that's where like all, uh, what do they call it? The trail of the fork and all of that kind of stuff. I've, I've gone into a few 
scientific papers trying to figure out all that steering inputs and stuff from moto but yeah it's i mean it's something that it worked and i mean my altitude now is yeah obviously way longer it's way lower in the front end i used to run a really tall front front end because i just liked the position that put me in for like going down steep things i was like man i can just like stand on my bike and i'm really comfortable but i totally changed all that and yeah it worked because i think like i said i don't have great cornering technique and it forced me into a position that was good technique where like you know hip hinging hips are out you're you're over your front end but not like uh, just your just your chest is kind of up and open over the front end not your whole body and yeah i think it just kind of worked and it, it i could feel it when i was in europe definitely like once all the bike was set up like i had to put less effort in cornering i felt like i was i was relaxing more in a race when i was cornering because i didn't have to I wasn't so scared. I wasn't, I didn't have to try as hard to like get traction. I was just like, I'm in my like neutral position. I just have a lot more even pressure and better traction around these corners and, and everything like that. So yeah, I mean, mm. the, the just, I mean, that's just like the bike as a whole, everything that I ended up doing, I think it just, it worked, which is kind of pretty good um, uh, gratification. Yeah, definitely. I guess it must play in with the fork offset to some extent as well. Like, yeah, I'm sure I've, I heard somewhere that, matching your stem length to your fork offset is like the optimal place to be oh, interesting which, oh yeah, cool again, I'll, I'll have to totally convinced on but i'll have to go and look that up but yeah i remember uh two uh yeah two years ago 2018 we got new new forks because i guess we were all like running 29 or forks off of the 27.5 offset and then so they switched from a 51 mil to a 44 on the foxes and i remember going and testing those in santa cruz and those were sweet. I was like, yeah, I mean, like it works. Like no, no worries. We had obviously Jordy there. So it was really good. And he was able to dial everything in so that we didn't have any issues. And then we flew out to New Zealand a little bit early, going to Queenstown, um, just to do some testing and get, cause those again were new, new suspension and we needed to get the testing done. And I just remember immediately being like, Oh my God, this is terrible. Like I can't. And that one was different in that because you're shortening the offset, that felt like when I was going down steep sections, I was just a tiny bit too far over my front end. And it felt like that my wheel was being pushed back and under me. And I was just like always on the verge of going over the front, like just always going over the handlebars. And that was pretty brutal, which ended up, that's when we ordered angle sets for the first time. <laughs> I ordered them to New Zealand <laughs> and then put those in and totally changed that bike to, to make that offset work. Um, and that again worked as well because I think I got a podium that week. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm definitely a little bit. Um, I either don't care, like I'm all or nothing. I either don't care at all and I'll just run whatever, or I care way too much and I just try way too many things and I get way too far down the rabbit hole. But yeah, eventually you're still on. You're still on the 44 mil offset, yeah. Yeah, that's like, and now it's like yeah. it, I just don't think that instinct was built around the 44 mil offset. So there was something that was not. They hadn't ca caught up to each other because, like, like I said, the yeah. 29er had to be moved to a 44 just for I guess 29ers, and then I think our bike might have been built around the old 51. So there was just something that was was off, um, and so we just had to had to change that a bit. And I remember I came home and I like did a out of the back of my car i just had two forks and i was swapping forks every run 
um, very super budget, like no shuttles. I'm pedaling each lap and I'm just swapping a fork and a car park without any bike stand. Cause I'm just like that. And, uh, I was testing the 51 to 44 mil offsets and I definitely, there was definitely advantages to both. I, I wasn't like the 51 was just way better. It's just that they, they were definitely different on the trail. And, and I was just like, okay, well they're different. So the 44 is also good. And like, I felt like it had way quicker steering, like, it just, it, it, um, you turn like the inputs at your bar were way more precise and quick and the inputs in your wheel and on the ground. And I like that again, cause I was like, okay, well I can figure out how to ride steeps faster and better. Cause that's what I'm really good at, but I would love help being better at corner. And so I was like, okay, the 44 is actually, is actually pretty good. It's mad, isn't it? It's so hard <laughs> to do a controlled experiment with one variable cause you yeah. can change one thing, but it's still, it isn't just that one thing that's well, really changing. Is and it? that's the thing. It's, the, it's not the one thing that you should change. Like if you're changing <laughs> your fork offset, like you're saying, like maybe you have to change your stem length. Like there's a lot of different things. And if you change your stem length, well, what else should be changing? Your stack height, or your handle by width, or your bar roll. Like it's, you can change one thing and test it, but you might not be changing it to the most optimized way of trying it out. <laughs> I think my head's going to explode. Should we talk about racing? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. I listen, I listen to all your podcasts with Fabian, so it's not any worse than that. No, Fabian is the best to listen to about that. He's just so, so much experience. We need to get you two on the same podcast oh, one day. Man. That'd be fun. Yeah, you also got to get you got to get Ruyos on the podcast because I feel like he is the same. Like, I think that guy, like, yeah, he's like Fabian as well. Just so critical and and they just dive into it so much and they have the capability to do so much stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, I look at that Lapierre team and yeah, that was, I mean, that was definitely the first team I think I reached out to. I was just like, I want to be on your team. Okay. <laughs> just cause they, I just think that that program is so cool. Like, yeah. But do I you think they've got stuff going on now that is like, above and beyond what some of the other teams are, are up to, like on the technical side of things. I just think that they, they're doing all the things that I'm doing, but at a much better level, like all these little minute changes to, to make sure the bike fits you and reacts the exact way that you want. And is fully optimized. Like they just, they changed, you know, their rocker link and, and all these little things. And I just know, like I'm talking to Craig, uh, the mechanic, like, he thinks the same way that I do, I think. And, and like, they just are optimizing that bike. It's not like they're doing some crazy innovative stuff. It's just that bike is completely perfect for, for Adrian. And the funny thing is, is like, we're the same height and same weight. And I was like, look, I'll just come in and put me on that bike and it'll, it'll work. It'll work fine. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's anything crazy at this point. I'm sure like they're obviously working on a next thing that, it's possible. I mean, you look at the old Lapierre bike that Bruni and those guys rode and that thing was unreal. Yeah. So, I mean, they obviously create really, and obviously Adrian's really fast on that bike. Isabel proved that she can be fast on that bike. So I think that Nico's uh, inputs go farther than crazy innovations. It's just the bikes themselves that they're producing, I think are probably just really good. Yeah, definitely. He's on the, he's on the list. I just haven't managed to track him down yet, but one nice. day we'll make that happen. Yeah, that'd be sweet. You, you Fabian, and Nico. <laughs> yeah. Job done. <laughs> I look forward to it. Let's chat a little bit about the Crankworks Summer Series because I guess you guys, in a way, you were quite lucky to get some 
mm-hmm. sort of relatively early racing in 2020 in the grand scheme of things. What what was that like as a series? Because very different to what you'd normally be doing, I suppose. Uh, it was amazing. First off, like definitely such a fun, fun time and so good. But it was also kind of a summer camp and a boot camp. And I don't know what else. Like it was just so intense. <laughs> um, but it was really cool because... You know, we, Darren is a super great guy and he brought us in right from the beginning. Like we knew about that probably from like April. I think we had our first talk and he was just, it was very refreshing for him to be so transparent and, and, you know, not last minute things like, Hey, like I will have this idea. Are you guys in basically right from the beginning? Like he understands that he needs athletes to put something like this on. And so I thought that was really cool. Like even before he'd started doing that much or like knew that he could do it he's bringing us in. And so we had talks like every month, I think. And it was, so it was looking good. We were all excited and maybe it was going to happen, but I'm pretty sure that they didn't get some sort of approval or insurance. Like before we were on the buses going to the event and they're like, yeah, so we might not be actually like starting on Monday, but (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) And so I'm like, yeah, the hoops that they had to go through for that was, I don't even want to know. Like it would have been insane. And then like, obviously for them too. Like, it's just, it was so, so I don't know if it looked like that from the outside, but we're racing every day. Like it was like a a race four days in a row and then you get three days off and then another four days of racing. Like it was by the end of it, it was um, still really fun, but I was just getting scared. I was like, man, I'm just getting tired. And I'm still like, I, you know, we're finishing on a downhill run or like, yeah, it just it was definitely kind of a war of attrition, which I really I I love those types of things. So I was I was really into it, and I thought it was really really good. And yeah, I think it was it was a lot. It was it was a lot, and I don't know if that's the way it should be done again. I'd like to see it uh-huh. again, but like maybe just be a little bit nicer on on the athletes. And like obviously, you know, people are going to say, well, that's what Crankus is in general, but it's different when. I don't know. I feel like this series was built around the the whole thing. Everyone's doing every event. So every event counts a lot more than like someone who's at a crankworks doing a downhill and a enduro. And then they're just doing pump track and duel for fun. Cause it's a good time. Yeah. It's like, if we're trying to win this thing, it's like everyone, everyone has to do every event. So every event is very important. So every event is very serious and you have to do really well. And, and then it was three weeks of that in a row. So, um, <laughs> It was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty crazy. Um, but beyond that, I think it was really great for me personally because doing something like dual slalom is you know talking about my cornering is it really forced me to learn and practice some of that stuff I'd never done dual before and I'd never really been good at. I don't know. I hit like dirt jumps as a kid and obviously did all those things when I was younger. But I in the more recent years, I just never had a bike and I never did that stuff. So dual slalom and and little little precise jump tracks like that was pretty crazy air dh is probably the most terrifying thing because i've never been good at hitting jumps fast and yeah the downhill was really fun because it's obviously i mean those downhill tracks weren't world cup level so it was basically just enduro stages um so yeah it was it was it was really cool and it was fun to be with everybody and hang out with people that you don't normally hang out with especially because you know, for the most Canadians are downhillers, so you don't get to really race with them too much. And that was really fun. And then obviously like more of the free ride type of people and the crankworks people. So it was just kind of bringing a lot of athletes together that you 
pass by a lot, but don't actually hang out with. And that was, it was really cool. Yeah. Nice to hang out with a different bunch. What was it like racing uh, psychosis? Oh, that, I mean, first of all, that trailer is sick. Like probably maybe my favorite trail in the world now. Cause it's just insane. I mean that, how long is that? It's like, it was 10 minutes, I think. So besides yeah, the top, that. the super steep thing, it's just ridiculously steep that I can't even describe how steep that is because I'm a good steep, I'm a good steep strider. And that scared the shit out of me. Like it was, <laughs> it's, it's so sustained that you're like, do not want to pick up speed because there's absolutely no way you shut it down. Like you, once you start going a speed, that's like your new base speed. And if you go a little bit faster, like that's your new base speed. So like you can't go faster because you'll never be able to slow down. So it was <laughs> crazy how steep that thing is. But then the trail after that, like all the way down, like the next nine minutes of trail was just fast, high speed, ripping, beautiful BC dirt just for nine minutes straight. And you're like, God, this is so good. <laughs> um, and then, so as a whole, like, I thought it was, you know, for us, it's like any enduro stage. Like, I mean, there's some stages in La Tuil that are like probably that sick where it's, you know, 10, 15 minutes long of just, yeah, there's some shitty parts to those, those ones, but just being on a trail for that long, that's that good. You can't help, but just be like, man, this is amazing. Like you just, you have so much time to think that you're like coming to, five minutes, 10 minutes down the trail being like, man, this is sick. <laughs> Cause you're just like ripping at such a speed and just in the flow of it. And it just feels so good. And yeah, that trail was, I mean, that trail was amazing. And the climb in the middle was pretty hilarious. Like full on, I don't know what it was the minute, like you had to hike it. I think I tried to ride it in practice once and it was not worth it, but yeah, that was, that was really cool. And I'd obviously had grown up watching that. So like, it was really cool to race that because I remember watching those those movies with uh, Sam and Stevie and, and never thinking I'd ever do it because I thought it was like super downhilly. Like I'd always just kind of thought it was a gnarly downhill track, which it is. There's there's the, the steep sections um, and there's like a shot of Stevie in one of the one of the one of the movies and like he's just ripping down this like sandy thing, just blowing it up and like that thing. That part is sick because you can go pretty fast on that part and. Dude, he is hauling down that section. It's insane. <laughs> How did your times compare to those guys back in the day? Yeah, we actually, we beat them. I mean, Henry laid down an absolutely, like, he said he just did not, like, he just threw caution to the wind. And he was on that new Norco Dano bike. And I, I think, like, yeah, you can go really fast on that trail. Um, so I think I was still uh, uh, six. 17 seconds quicker than sam's best time so i think okay. i think uh, you'd have to fact check i don't know like i i want to say sam was a 10 28 and i was a 10 11 or something okay so, or maybe mad, it's in the 11s it? to the 10s like something around there but yeah definitely yeah like 10 20 seconds and then henry was like i don't know 15 seconds quicker than me so we were riding that on single crown i was on a, bike, i was on yeah. an enduro bike yeah yeah impressive yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, mad. it was it was crazy it was cool that we beat those times you you would expect that we would like i mean obviously it's sam hill and stevie smith but it's just the older bikes and yeah and i mean honestly fitness like that was i don't know how many years ago but everyone is arguably a lot more fitter now to be able to do a 10 minute stage i mean I, we still finish that track and you're like pretty much cooked but not like cardio wise it was more like my hands were just my my hands were just dead or my arms were just dead by the end of it. 
a bet. Yeah, fair play. But do you think doing that event put you in a better position compared to some of the other races then when you get to get to Europe and get to the start like of the EWS? Because there's some as a people whole? that hadn't. Sorry? Crackworks as a whole, you mean? You meant? Yeah, the summer oh, yeah. series. Just having that racing under your belt and getting fired up again. For sure. Like, no doubt. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I obviously didn't choose to ha- to have the advantage. I just, you know, did this event and it's always the case for us though, that we come into a season without racing because racing starts so early for us. Like we're still buried in the snow when we go, go away. So we've never come into a season with racing under our belt. And that's kind of always been a disadvantage for us. Um, so I know that like Martin kind of called me out, I think for, you know, he's like, well, you know, I didn't have three weeks of racing leading up in desert mat. And I was like, okay, whatever. You guys don't ever have to travel to North America and you get pre racing <laughs> yeah. before your races. So you can talk to me about disadvantages when you have advantages every single year, considering we're going into a 10 race European world cup and there's not a single yeah. race on our side of the pond. So I'll uh, ask you about that later. Yeah. yeah you can tell I'm a, I'm a bit, uh, <laughs> by that, but yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. In even, even more than just getting racing under the belt, like it was almost like a, a training and a, a skills camp, like doing dual, doing downhill, ADH maybe not and then doing enduro like you're doing different disciplines that are it's like training it's like okay well here's downhill for our super max speed dialing in dialing in a run and getting up to you know 100% speed and then here's dual slalom for like cornering and and precise agility and and um cognitive function and then there's uh there's um enduro for obviously enduro stuff and then there's yeah. the, the day after day like there's definitely a heavy rest period after that because we're so beat down but yeah i mean that was and then two like figuring out my bikes for that like learning a lot and dialing in like for the new bike was really good so that was pretty huge i mean if i had a bike that i if i didn't have a new bike i i wouldn't have been making as much progress i think throughout the races but i was able to change things like every day and and race test it so that was pretty pretty beneficial and yeah just racing under the belt getting your mind getting the jitters out like you know going to zoom mat and especially with the way things went like classic covid where you just show up and then freaking stages are getting canceled and the weather is absolutely miserable i feel like what i learned from covid and what i learned from crankworks i was able to just really be unfazed by it all like i just remember being in the hotel and I'm not usually, I used to be a pretty nervous racer, like race day, pretty anxious. And I still am because I'm anxious because I just want to have a good result basically. And this, I was just like, ah, you know what? Like whatever, if we race sweet, like I just, I had fun on the trails and practice and just get out there. So the delays, it's more like you just get bored. Like you just, you can't really do much because you have to conserve your energy and you you have to make sure that you're ready to go if you go. So like eating and not you know, not too much caffeine consumption or like all these little things. Like you have to make sure that you're ready to go when you have to go. And so you can't just like laze around and go to McDonald's or go to coffee shop and have coffee and treats. Like I was just kind of bored. I was like, ah, I just need something to do. Um, but yeah, that it definitely helped that I was just kind of like easy going for all that. And then you get to the first stage and it's just like, it's just such a crapshoot, but ended up, ended up being okay. Yeah, it went all right, didn't it? First first place on the first stage and third place on the second stage, I think, yeah? Yeah, I think I definitely, I you know, what I did right for the first stage, I did wrong for the second stage because I was just 
I was like, wow, okay. I didn't, didn't expect that on the first stage. And so second stage, I just tried a little bit too hard and, and you know, in my GoPro video, you can watch it and you just like, I think I tell myself like, come on, Jesse, like stop being an idiot. Cause I just like blew two corners. Cause I was just coming in too fast and thinking too far ahead. And I was like, okay, like stop, just ride your bike the way you know you can ride your bike. And, and then pedal really hard. Cause that stage was super physical. And yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, me being me, I was like, well, shit, I lost that stage. Like I shouldn't win the race cause I lost the stage, <laughs> but I lost it by less than I won the first one. So well, and the first was the queen stage as well. So there's more points. Is that oh, right? It was it. Yeah. Yeah. More points. And it doesn't really matter because there was no overall. So yeah, of course. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and, uh, does that then sort of put you in a pretty good place confidence wise? Cause lead, you're effectively kind of mm. leading the series, I suppose, after the first round, although there, at that point there wasn't a series, was there? Yeah. I think like, um, it definitely, it definitely does for sure. But I've, I've had, pretty good results i'd say over i've had a lot of injuries obviously but regardless of those injuries i have not been outside the top 10 so i've had this kind of confidence of like okay i know that i can be fast on a bike when i stop making stupid mistakes and so i've always kind of had this in the back of my mind like you just have to you know be more consistent and put together and stop making those those little mistakes that are big consequences. Um, so yeah. And like, obviously I won Whistler, So I, I know that I can be there, but this is now like, okay, I know that I can be there without um, putting everything on the line, I guess. And like being the absolute best that I can be. Cause I didn't feel like I was putting it all out there. I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm racing my hardest, but I'm not like killing myself trying to win. And, but at once I was like, okay, that's kind of cool to know that my, you know, comfortable level, comfortable race level is fast enough. And, and that's, that's pretty sweet. And that's just good for the longevity of my career too, at this point. So I'm pretty happy Definitely. that, pretty happy that, uh, it happened the way it happened. And I'm, you know, there's obviously so much that went into it and years and years of learning and and dialing things in to get to that point. It's not like I was the overnight success, um, which is different to a lot of people and a lot of like what people don't see. And I think it's, yeah, I, I like it this way. I think it makes it that much sweeter and, and more gratifying when it takes so long to put it together. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> you went from there on to Pietro Ligure and the weather was a, a little bit better than it was in Zermatt. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how that race went. Cause it was, it was a bit more mixed that one for you. Yeah. Wasn't it? Not good. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's tough to say and I can say things however I want to say them, but stage one, I, I was like, okay, you know what? You, you won a race already. You don't have to be a hero. So don't, um, and in that first stage, I was like starting, starting well, like wasn't doing anything crazy. And then I just, yeah, I, I, I really feel like I just got unlucky in this one corner and like a rock came out on my front wheel and put my wheel on the wrong side of a tree. And I just went down over the bars and like crashes happened, but that one was unfortunate because it was unforeseeable. And then it put me in a position that was like, I can't just get up from this. My bars are twisted. So I rode with my bars twisted and I stopped on twist them and then I twisted them more. And yeah, that was unfortunate because I lost some time and I was like, okay, well that was a bad start, but learning from that, I picked up and won the second stage. So yeah. I knew that I was riding well. And then, yeah, the third stage was the rain came down and 
yeah, you can, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I don't know. I could say that I had maybe the worst conditions because I was starting last, but uh, I didn't, I didn't do well on that stage. Like I just, I didn't ride it the way it could have been ridden, I guess. Like I think Jack was only two people in front of me and he was up there on that stage. So like I shouldn't have lost as much time as I did, but I, it definitely, yeah, didn't help. Didn't help my day. That's for sure. And then I went on and, and rode the last couple really well, like just super. And those ones were like insanely technical. Cause it was like, it had rain and there was like, they were kind of clay based. So they're super slick, super tight. And like, I just rode those. I thought like really, really well. And like after those two, I was like, okay, like I can't ask to, to race a trail any better than that. And I'm happy with that. So I still got seventh, which, you know, falls in line with my top 10 consistency, but it's not where I want it to be obviously. And I think without, uh, the crash, I think without the crash on stage one, cause I had GoPro, I timed it. I would have been second. And I don't think Adrian, okay. I don't think Adrian was beatable that race. Honestly, like he was, he was on it. So like, I don't think I would have, I'm not bummed that I didn't win. Cause I couldn't have won. I don't think I could have beat him, but it's nice to know that, you know, taking the time of stage my stage to uh, stage one crash. Like I, I could have been second, obviously like other things could have happened, but I just know that I was, I was there in time wise at least. Yeah. And did that fire you up even more for the last round in finale then to kind of really put it uh, on the line? It fired me up to, I don't know. I think I, I also didn't do things as right heading into Pietra. Like we had a lot of time off and after some mad, I was like, kind of trying not to take things too seriously. So I was like just having a good time riding and, and uh, maybe like over road. So I was maybe a bit tired going to Pietra. So I just really took it easy going into finale. And I think I just did my, I did my normal race prep for finale. And that I think just put me in a better position. And, and I always love finale and the trails are great. And I think a lot of those trails suited me, even though I didn't love the tight jank stuff. And the last stage was, honestly pretty shit but um yeah i i think i just needed to go back to riding and having fun and and it definitely worked yeah well three stage wins and a sixth on the last stage mm. was that was that a conscious decision to just back off a little bit on that last stage to keep it safe and bring it home or <laughs> that was uh yeah it was conscious because of sven uh, i just wanted to prove sven wrong <laughs> after stage three i think like he wanted me to go for total stage domination and he's just like he's like oh are you, are you gonna like you know play it the jesse way where you're just gonna checkers or records in the last stage and i was like no you know what <laughs> no i've i'm i'm older i'm wiser i'm gonna slow down make sure i can finish this race and not risk you know as cool as it would be to win every stage i don't need to win every stage um, i didn't actually i don't think i knew the time gaps which is kind of maybe a bit sketchy like i think i was 17 seconds ahead which is a huge margin so i'd have if i had known that i think maybe i did i might have known it because i might have been like okay 17 is pretty big like i'd have to ride like a complete idiot to lose that on that stage so uh-huh. i think that's probably what i said and yeah that was definitely purposeful so i'm proud of myself for that i think that was you know very uh, a very good good way to take it it you know, it didn't, it never feels good to lose time. Like I hated that Flo and Jack beat me by so much on that stage. It was like, well, shit, like <laughs> I'm slow, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it was not, I think it was good. And, uh, it's just crazy how tight the times are. Like I cannot imagine 
racing downhill because I just wouldn't feel accomplished if I walked by like less than a second. Like, how can you, how can you think you won if it's like a hair's <laughs> like just, I don't know, some gust of wind, like pushed you across the <laughs> line or something. And so I won that race. I don't know. Uh, I think I lost like nine seconds maybe on that state. I, don't, I must've been like around 11 seconds in the lead or 10 or nine or something. And yeah, you're like, man, that's so minuscule. Like, one mistake and I wouldn't have won that race. So like, yeah, one wrong line, one crash. It's, it's so, so small that I want to win a race and be like, I won that race. (laughs) Fair play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turned out, it turned out well, didn't it? I mean, looking back now on that season, how, how do you feel about it? I'm guessing you've done a bit of a bit of thinking and trying to work out. I'm super happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like I said before, I think, just so happy that I didn't, you know, I never gave up over the years and I kept on putting in work regardless if it was working or not. Like, I mean, not that if it was the training was working, but like I was crashing or, or I wasn't getting the results that I absolutely wanted to. Like I just never stopped putting in a hundred percent effort. And then it it finally paid off with an unofficial, (laughs) unofficial world champion. (laughs) But (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, I, I look back on that year knowing that I, I don't, yeah, I don't care if it's like in record books, but I was number one. Um, so I'll always know that I, I had a season and which for me, I've had maybe one complete season, I think over the years. So that's, that's a huge success for me, just completing a full season. And then also completing a season as being, you know, the the number one that was there. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I'll always have that. And that's, I, I feel pretty accomplished. And I think that I want to do that again, obviously, but I just, I feel quite content. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm 29 now. I've been racing for eight or nine years. And like, this isn't to say, obviously I'm ever going to retire because I love racing and I'm not done, but it's just like, I've been chasing that for so long and I've put so many broken bones in a line for that, that, I have to kind of look back, take stock and really appreciate what I, what I had. So yeah. Almost a bit of a relief. Definitely a relief. I mean, I always kind of go through seasons, like just wanting one result so I can kind of have that relief and be like, okay, I'm there. Like I, I, I proved that I I'm fast and now I can like work on being fast. And I know that's not like the best way to, to look at things, but it's just the way that my mind works. I need to like, or in a race, I'll like, I just need one stage to show that I was there to know, show myself that I, I have it. And then from there I can be like, okay, I'm, I'm there. Like, I know that I, I know that I have it. Yeah. yeah. Did you say that you did anything different that season? Uh, no, not really. I, I think I've, because of not getting, you know, because th- of things not going right in the beginning of racing, I've always added things to my program of, you know, whether it's whatever gym training and, and regular training and mental training and, and physio and all of these things, like they all just add up. And I slowly just had all the pieces of the puzzle, I feel like, and they all just kind of came together. And yeah, it was also kind of perfect storm. I think cramp books is a a huge benefit to, to my racing and, it definitely provided a lot of practice and, and warm up and getting new race jitters out. So there's that. I mean, I'm not going to like discount the fact that I, yeah, I was, I was lucky in the way that things worked out for sure. I think it was, 
yeah, it, it just worked out for me pretty well. But I mean, having said that, we all had to deal with you know, coronavirus and not doing anything and having everything in jeopardy. Like I never stopped. I, like I said, I had maybe three weeks off and then I was pretty hard into training and like keeping things going throughout the summer, no matter if we were racing or not. So like, yes, we raced, but I would have kept that training going all the way until now. So I feel like I have really good discipline and motivation for that kind of side of it. So I never, I never really lapse, which is I think also shown in my ability to always kind of get a top 10 is my training is always there. Everything's always there, you know, at, at some point or another. So I feel like I just, had the ability to come in with the absolutely perfect prep into that season and it and it worked the bike you know i had a, an amazing bike and an amazing staff an amazing team and everything everything was there so i think it just was you know kind of uh good timing for everything yeah well so everything you've learned then from that season will you change the way you approach this season as a result like will you will you change up anything in your training or in your process or in your preparation yeah, I mean, a little bit. Like, I think I'll I'll go a little bit easier on myself now because I, you know, I just I always obviously just want to win and I want to be the best and I sacrifice a lot of things to get to that that point. I feel like I treat my winters like an entire training camp. So I I'm like I said, I'm skiing a little bit more and I'm you know not trying to be as perfect in my in my training, just trying to be very consistent, especially with the delayed season and, and what's going on. Like I'm just trying to be consistent, not perfect. Um, so that's kind of a bit of a change. And then beyond that, I mean, no, I mean, why, why change things? I, I think that was a huge reason why I resigned with Rocky. Like, you know, I jokingly said that I, I messaged Lapierre and that was like jokingly, not jokingly. I, it was like talking to Craig. I was like, Hey, like you guys have a sweet program. <laughs> like, let me know if there's room. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the negotiation with Rocky definitely took some time just so that we were all on the same page. But it was it's tough because the last time I was signing with them, after I'd won, it's like everyone kind of wants you. And um, this year was a bit different for sure. I think just with COVID, like I wasn't really – I didn't have a lot of that. I had some offers, but no one's like – you know, no one really wanted to pony up for anything, um, which is interesting. Right uh like it was what i wanted but it wasn't like you know i just won and here's like your golden deal (laughs) (laughs) but i think regardless of all that like i just rocky has just been really good to me and i just like this i like the story i'm I'm someone who just likes things the way they are and and things that just kind of happen a certain way like had something happened a different way I'd, i'd probably be super stoked for it but Rocky, you know, the way it came about, my old trainer had me on this local cycling program and then I just met the right people and I just got in at the right time and it was just very natural and it's just kind of been that way since. It's not like this big corporate thing. It's like I I just know everybody at Rocky and and those guys were fighting really hard for me to, you know, get the the, uh, executives to pay me what I wanted, which was, you know, (laughs) very nice and yeah, I think that's huge. I, the team that we have right now, like I, I didn't want, I didn't want to actively leave the team that we built before, like the team leaves me. You know, like I didn't, I didn't want to leave that because I think that they're a huge part of my success. Like having Alan and Remy as teammates is amazing, and having Tara and Trotter and Matt like on the staff side is just everything just works really well. I think it was funny Matt saying 
Matt was our new mechanic this year and he was coming from a different team and just being like, man, your team is so fun. And like, you are genuinely friends that hang out at the races. <laughs> and we were like, well, yeah, that isn't that what it's supposed to be. But I think, you know, I live, I live in Squamish with Tara and, and Remy and Aylan and I see them like, I don't know, at, at least once a week throughout the week, throughout the year. And we're hanging out all the time and that's pretty special. Same with Rocky just down the road. Like, yeah, I just, so just saying all that, I think, why, how could I leave? I mean, sure. I could get more money somewhere else, but it, I, I get to a certain point and I'm like, well, I'm doing pretty well. Like I don't need to be greedy just to like upend my life. And so signing with Rocky again is pretty huge. And I think it shows good commitment on their end. Cause obviously they didn't sign me as a top rider and I am now a top rider. And I, I know that that's not easy for, I'm sure their finance team to look at the balance sheet and be like, man, what the hell? <laughs> Why is there so much money going to this person? <laughs> um, but I, I, I looked at it and like, I, and I draw this up in our meetings. I was like, you guys have always had amazing programs. Like if you look, um, you know, Rocky, I think, uh, is, this is our 40th anniversary. So they've been around, been around quite a while now, which is pretty cool. But throughout all those years, Rocky has always been at the forefront of kind of the wave of what's going on. Like they were the fro riders, like the, the free riders with Tippy and Schley and Simmons, and that was like huge. And then around, I think maybe before that, I guess they had like the XC program with uh, Dre and, and they had Kabush on there and we had Helen Vermont, like they had a huge XC team that I grew up watching at the, at the World Cups and they had Sabrina Janier and uh, Cam Cole on the downhill side. And so they've always had this history of like doing things really well, like not dipping their fingers into everything, but when they're doing something, they're doing it really well. So they've had those race teams. I've had the free rider teams and, and now they have the enduro team. And for as long as that lasts, like I, I really want to be a part of that because I think it's going to be a legacy that we look back on pretty fondly. And so, yeah, I, I'm really happy to resign and, and, it, and I think it's sweet that they are still committed to the program, even though it's kind of probably grown past what they had anticipated. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm super appreciative of that, and I didn't I didn't want to change that, and so that makes things a lot easier, you know. Like, I don't have to I don't have to change anything. Everything stays the same, and I I uh, can stay comfortable and and probably put all my focus into training and yeah, just kind of being the best that I can be. Yeah, well, and second year on that bike, so you've hopefully gone through some of those early learning headaches of getting it closer yeah. to optimum but there's I'm a sure few, still, still there's more a, to do but yeah there's a few things that i'm really excited to try um so we'll see yeah that hasn't started yet i think again with the delays it's really hard to ride like we can ride here in the winter but it's really hard to test and ride properly so it's almost like diminishing returns like how much you're gonna like risk or put out there to like go and test so i haven't done anything yet i mean it's Normally, I would have if we had a normal start to the season, but we have so much time in the summer that I'm not too worried. So, lots of cool things that I'm going to try there, and I'm, yeah, I I, I think that there there could be some good things, but yeah, I think the, the altitude is a solid bike, and it's been cool to see the reviews come out actually, and people think the same thing because I'm improving it is one thing, but I really genuinely think that the bike is super fun and super capable, and yeah, I I really like it. So it's it's. Uh, I'm happy that we stay on that program for another year. And hopefully now we like stay on the altitude. Like we kind of went from the old altitude, which I did really well on. Actually, I've been on the previous two altitude platforms. Like when I first got on the team, it was 
the first altitude and that team was actually called the altitude enduro team um so that was a long time ago and then the new altitude that came out obviously won on that and that was really sweet and then we switched to 29er which is the instinct and now that the altitude the 29er we're back on that and hopefully we can kind of continue to develop and and improve this bike that we're currently on i mean i have no idea how to go about that which is why there's engineers that are paid to do that but yeah it's it's uh it's a sweet bike and uh hopefully uh hopefully we can get everyone dialed in on it because i know that you know rami and Aylan are are wanting to do the same thing so yeah, yeah we got some well, is there is, is there anything on your list of experiments that you can tell us about or are you keeping your cars close to your chest uh yeah i mean just more things that rocky probably doesn't want me to do the bike but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i guess the main thing is i i do want to try i reach adjust just because i just want to know like is my bike too big for me and would I be better suited to maybe a slightly shorter reach? So I'll test that. And just, just to know, like, I mean, yes, the bike worked well for me, but that doesn't mean it couldn't work better. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. And there's a, there's a few yeah. other things, but I think that's so what you're just going to, you're just going to do reach adjust with a headset. Yeah. 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 So how much can you change it on that? Can uh, you, five, can you get much movement? five mil. Okay, it's a fair chunk then. Yeah, it's I mean a fair bit. So if I'm at like uh I don't know the exact number because we have that custom chip in. So like I wanna say it's like four fifty around four fifty, let's say. And so if I can get it to four forty five, that's pretty big because the slayer, the way that I was running it eventually was a four forty six, I think. And it definitely felt a little bit more comfortable. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that would be pretty sweet. So and I mean yeah, just, I mean, basically with Remy going to medium, I'm like, well, I got to try like something because if he likes the medium better, like that's pretty telling. Small is, I think, too small for me. So it's hard to know because like, you know, we're, we're different sizes, but not like the perfect small medium size or medium large size. Yeah. So is he closer to me in the medium than I am to him or in the large? So it's, yeah, it's definitely super complicated. Um, yeah, it shows how tricky it is for brands to size you know, to create three or four sizes in a range that work for the majority of people, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, every bike launch that comes out now, I'm looking at the reach sizing just to be like, okay, where are they placing their bikes? And honestly, none of them are in the range that I want them to. I think I want something in like mid 440s, like 445 or 440 to 445, I think would be the perfect for me, but no one <laughs> makes a bike that size. They're all like either too big or too small. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. So like, no, no matter where you are, no matter what bike, like, I mean, if you find a bike that fits you, that's probably that just stick with that bike because you're you're not gonna be perfect on every size, like on a on a medium for every bike brand. They're all gonna be slightly well, and, slightly different. Yeah, and not everyone is searching for the you know the X little percent of uh, performance, are they? Like, yeah, you guys are very unique in that respect. Yeah, but I mean, that's why we have to kind of change our bikes a little bit, I feel like, and why people should understand that. It's like, you can, I could be fine on a small or a medium, I'm sure. Like, I would have fun either way. There's maybe a bit of compromise to each. So anyone buying a bike is like, yeah, buy the bike that fits you the best, and it'll be really good, for sure. Yeah. And then you can kind of change a few things around that. But yeah, I mean, if you're super serious, then just buy a bike that fits you but how do you know what bike fits you <laughs> That's like, it. i don't yeah. i don't yeah. i don't i don't really like no one has made some sort of calculation of height to reach or anything like that or front center to rear center like 
there's nothing really around that says i which is kind of crazy actually when you think about it like all of all of this is coming out and for how many years now we've we been going longer lower slacker how come no one's tried to like figure out the optimal like hey you're 170 centimeters tall okay this is like your reach that you should be on this bike it'd be interesting wouldn't it, if someone had that spreadsheet i bet someone somewhere has got something yeah i bet you fabian, you feel, I bet you but... fabian has it <laughs> <laughs> i'll ask him next time i speak to him yeah i'd like because like, awesome. i tried to i tried to figure that out in his podcast because i think troy's similar size to me and i was trying to figure out what troy was doing to his bikes because i know that canyon's pretty good at modifying and and optimizing their bikes and so i was like yeah. okay what's he doing and i forget like he ended up uh he ended up sizing up but reach adjusting shorter right do you remember yeah but i think yeah and then he was full 29 but he's dropped back to the mullet version mm-hmm. now but i think he's still on the same frame size so a large with the reach back which is 10 mil back i think on the sender mm. Yeah, because it was kind of a bit vague, and I couldn't I couldn't figure out exactly what he'd ended up on. But it's obviously different for a downhill bike. But uh, it's interesting because yeah, I I try to study other people as much as I can to learn from them. And you know, you look at someone like Tani, and that bike definitely looked like it got bigger for her, which she said she liked. But then you get to the races, and uh, I don't know, <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's on the medium, and again with the reach set to the shortest on it. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where you can ride a bike and and train at home, and then as soon as you go to a race, it just it really makes apparent what you've kind of been missing, and everyone kind of struggles with that because you can't get racing. But yeah, someone will say, and there's I have a few instances where I think of like someone's like, yeah, my bike is sick, like I love the way it's handling like this, and then I get to a race and. I know from being a racer that they're probably having some huge internal struggles right now because they're not performing in the way they want to. And yeah, like on the outside, obviously never going to like really let that be apparent. But I think as racers, we're always struggling. Like this, the syndicate and the the Fox series is pretty good for that because it shows like, you know, maybe some of that's played up, but definitely there is just constant like changing and not thinking it's good enough because I don't think anyone thinks their bike is perfect or, or, you know, amazing. It's just, it's always going to feel bad in some place and that's what you're going to focus on. So it's just yeah. constantly changing. And it's the same in other sports with a complex kind of setup, I guess, like formula one or motorsports, a good mm. example, like the car is never perfect. Yeah. They just work throughout the weekend to get it as close to optimum as they can. Yeah. F1, I don't understand. Like I've been watching basically since Drive to Survive came out and I learned like enough about it. I've watched every race for the last three years. And, um, okay. I, I, I guess I don't understand enough of what they can change to understand what they are changing. Like I, I know that they complain okay. about their car and this and their steering and the balance, but I'm like, those cars are so complex. Like what are they actually what are they actually able to change and why is Lewis's car so much better than everybody else's car? Like, I, I don't know. I know at the base, like they have a, a more powerful car and they're like downforce through the corners is a lot better without sacrificing the straight line speed. But when they're actually changing stuff on the car, like the balance on, on practice and stuff, like what, yeah. Like what do they feel? How can they, it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's pretty, it's too high level for me, I think. 
it would be an interesting chat, wouldn't it, to sit down with someone like yeah, Lewis and, engineer. and go oh, through that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I I have a, a joke with, like, Tara because, like, we watch F1 and, I mean, I just, like, those guys just don't seem like athletes to me. They just seem like, you know, playboys that travel the world and they're just really good at driving cars. But I know that's <laughs> taking away a huge amount from them because they're obviously the best at what they do and that sport is uh, yeah arguably the pinnacle of sport but they just you know you i follow them all on instagram and like watching them train and i put air quotes because like i don't know like they have to train their neck and they have to be genuinely fit but like man like those guys i remember one day i was scrolling through instagram and there was a post of max verstappen doing like split squats with dumbbells and he's got like i don't know like it was like 10 or 15 pound dumbbells and like okay cool whatever and then the next post was troy doing the exact same exercise with like 80 pound dumbbells and you're like this is what i mean (laughs) it's a bit different i mean those guys i guess have to be light so they can't put on too much on too much muscle but you follow someone like lewis and you're like man what does that guy do he's just he's just a celebrity and he's really freaking good at driving a car (laughs) Yeah, like he, he's, he's got such, some skill. He's that's such for an sure. enigma for me because I, I, I can't understand him. He just does not seem like a champion, you know. Like in when I when I follow him, what I see, I just I don't see that. But obviously, he, he, I'm not discrediting what he does at all because he's done seven years now, I think, in a row, and like something like that. Yeah, dude, that's insane to be at the top of that sport for that long. So you, you think he's he doesn't seem like someone who would win that much because of how much other stuff he Ex- sort of seems distracted by exactly or? yeah he's just he's you know he's like yeah just what does he do in a daily on a daily like a day-to-day just he's got his he's got his clothing line with tommy hilfiger and he's got so many sponsorships and things he's probably got to do and how like how can he manage all of that and show up to a race and still do so like yeah, just i don't know I guess they have a lot more staff. They get paid a lot more than mountain bikers, so they can have a lot more people to do things for them. Yeah, I mean, true. That's the thing is, like, I, I just wonder, like, is it kind of a farce? Like, is is it, I don't know, are we, are we being fed something that's like, once you just have to make it to F1, and you just have to make it to the best team, and they need to be pretty damn good. But, like, the car and the team does so much. Like, do you have to be the absolute best driver in the world? It's kind, of, uh-huh. kind of what I think. And I know that's an, probably an unpopular opinion, but I just, I don't know. I still watch and I still enjoy it, but I just, I, I started watching more MotoGP because of COVID and that is way more exciting. Those guys, because they do, yeah. there's so much more skill involved. Like different, I guess more visual skill where like I can see them leaning the bike and I can see the mistakes that they're doing or what they're doing right. Whereas in F1 car, like you can't see the skill that those guys have because all they're doing is, all you see them doing is turning the wheel, but there's so much more that goes into the strategy and all the different buttons they have and, and how to turn and how, what they can feel in the car. Like I understand that I don't understand, which is why I'm not too critical. So, but MotoGP, man, that this season was insane. And watching those guys, it's so cool. Cause yeah, you just, just watch them, like put it on the line. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. The race is incredible. You should, it sounds like you've missed the good, eras of formula one like you should try yeah, and find some old formula one to watch because it's got so technical and so aerodynamically dominated yeah. that it just it's i i mean i used to watch it all the time and i don't think i've sat and watched a race for 
it's four or five years it's pretty, all the way it's pretty through. Pretty boring now. Like I would say, one out of ten races is exciting. Every, otherwise, yeah, there's it, definitely highlights. There's good, yeah, bits, there's highlights but... for sure. But it's just, yeah, I think what you're saying is right. Like, I want to watch it in the days when like they had to shift and like just control the car a lot more. Like, I feel like the car does so much now, and it's all it's all technical. And you have your race engineer, and he's the one that's really like. You know, they're the ones that are kind of doing all the all the work. You're just putting your yeah. life on the line by being in the car. Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? To see like how hard it really is to get someone who's a reasonable driver and put them in an F1 car and see what happens. Well, I mean, it was evidenced by I don't know if you saw George Russell because uh, was it Lewis? I think got COVID for one of like second last race or something, and uh, yeah, missed yeah, yeah. it. And they put George Russell in his car, and like he 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 killed it <laughs> like yeah, he, did pretty he, went, good, he went from the worst car in the field to the best car i mean he ended up having a flat and a lot of issues with a pit stop i think so like he didn't do well but he was going to win i think if like yeah if the whole pit shabak didn't happen and the flat i think he would have won and you're like okay yeah i mean he's also probably a really, really good driver like that's why he's been on the mercedes development team forever but i mean at the same time like I wouldn't expect me being a good rider, like as good as I am. You couldn't put me on, let's say, Loris's bike if we're like similar size and weight and ex- and say that I'm just going to win. Like, I would yeah. like to think that I could. Yes, sure. I could probably do pretty well, but I don't think I shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to, or let, let's say someone in, in downhill, I guess would be a better example. Like who's like a 20th place rider. That's really good. And then you could put them on like Loris's bike. Like, are they going to go and win the next race? I don't think so. No. And so that's no. what I mean. Like in, yes. F- in F1, it's like, okay, you take the guy in the absolute worst car who finishes, he doesn't actually finish last because he's a really good driver, but mostly last, put him in the best car and he wins. It's like, eh, I mean, yeah. What does that come down it's to? Got, yeah, less of it must be about the driver, right? Because it's I don't, a much lower I don't want to say that because I don't want to, I, I, I know that I'm implying that, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to take away from what those guys do like obviously that it's it's incredible but i just yeah it makes you wonder like (laughs) yeah but maybe flip it the other way the the vehicle provides is a bigger percentage of the ultimate performance than it is with a a mountain bike right yeah yeah for sure i think think that's fair to say because it's on a mountain bike the power comes from the rider not the bike Mm -hmm. and as a percentage of the mass of the moving unit definitely it's a, a lot more of it is the the rider than the bike whereas in the car yeah it's a, it's a very different situation but yeah. yeah i'm sure they're still incredibly talented yeah but yeah just very different <laughs> so let's let's bring it back to mountain biking briefly but we i think you touched on your uh on how you felt about it earlier but we've got a season that is going to be solely in europe the whistler round was cancelled mm-hmm. kind of before it even was announced almost and that makes it tricky again for you guys, I suppose. Do you feel that it, it puts you at a bit of a, a disadvantage compared to people based in Europe? Yeah, I mean, it's just always been that way. And like, we're not the only ones, obviously, that, you know, South, the South Americans and Pan-Asia, like New Zealand and Kiwis have always had to deal with it. But I think the Europeans don't really understand how kind of fortunate they are. Like, I was on a European team for quite a few years and the complaints every time they had to fly to... Canada or the U S was like, okay, you do this once a year and I understand jet lag is pretty shitty, but like 
yeah, we do it every year multiple times. And that's one of the things where I kind of thought, okay, Martin can say what he says about Zimat, but I had to show up, deal with jet lag. Like I would, I don't, I'm really bad with jet lag and sleep kind of in general. It takes a lot for me to dial that in. Like I didn't sleep a full night until Thursday. So basically halfway through practice and then I'm finally sleeping and I'm racing. Like, so yes, I have all this cool prep stuff, but like jet lag hits me really hard and it's something that always kind of messes me up. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that, I don't know. And I know that like talking to Miranda and the downhill people, like, they complain when they're to fly to Montana. It's like, well, first of all, it's East Coast, so you're not even doing that that as many hours, <laughs> and like, yeah, it's like once a year. And I, I, I know that they maybe understand, but I just don't. I think they're very spoiled, honestly. Like, it's it's tough traveling the world, and there's a lot more stress that's involved with flying across the across the world. And there's jet lag, and there's different culture and different food, and all this stuff. So it there's definitely it's it's tough on on us for sure, and. I mean, we joke about it all the time, but we just do not have trails like Europe. Like all of Europe has trails like Europe, but <laughs> we cannot find a shitty enough trail to train on. <laughs> most of them are really good, but like, you know, some of those stages that get put in are just so ridiculous. And I mean, we try to find them, but we can't. Like, I think we need to make some sort of arrangement with the hiking club in, in Squamish or something so we can go ride their trails. But Sounds yeah, like it. <laughs> I think, I don't know, it, it's, it's tough, but it's just the way it is. And I've never really like complained about it because it's just, it is what it is. And, and Europe is able to put on all these races. So I'm happy that we get to go. I love going to Europe and I love the places that we get to go to. I think it's amazing. And, and finding those hidden gems of trails in these random places in Europe is incredible. Like I remember Olarg, whenever that was, like the trails there, like just this random sleepy town in France and some of the sickest like they're not trails because they're not really bike trails, but they're so good. And I think that's, that's so rad and I, and I love it, but it'd be nice if it was more of a world series. And this year, especially it's like, I mean, I'm just grateful that we can have a season. So I don't really, I don't really care that it's all in Europe. Uh, I mean, I do, but I'm like, I'm not going to complain about it because we get to race. So like who I'm, yeah. I'm never going to complain about that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. I think with, I mean, obviously we're going to be canceled. I think, I, I never thought it was going to be on. So I think we'll have to stay the entire uh, summer in, in Europe. There's no point in coming back and having to quarantine twice. So that'll be, yeah, I, I was going to say where you've based yourself in Europe for, cause it's quite a big gap, isn't there in August, I guess. For Couple the months, Olympics. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. I'm not super looking forward to that. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the fact that we have a spring and a summer to spend at home, which I don't only do. So that'll be really cool. Um, but yeah, spending that long enough suitcases isn't, isn't the most fun thing. Um, and especially just in COVID, like you can't really, really maximize it. You can't go anywhere that you want and do anything that you want. Like, otherwise it'd be sweet. Just have a Europe road trip and tourist for a couple of months, but I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do yet. We haven't, the team is just kind of talking about it, so we'll see, but yeah, whatever. At least we get to, at least we get to go race and I'm excited to go back to a lot of the places. I'm stoked to go back to Peebles and uh in Elethan. so that'll yeah. be that'll be sweet i'm stoked to do those and go back to uh Kanazai and the twill i feel like we have a really good lineup of races this 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 summer so hopefully i mean i'm i'm pretty like maybe i'm setting myself up for disappointment now but i'm pretty confident that those things are going to happen so yeah hopefully that hopefully that all happens 
Yeah, things seem to be on a positive trend in Europe at the moment, I think. So yeah. if that continues, then nice. uh, that's, fingers crossed. That's we'll good get that it's racing. happening so soon because I feel like the closer we get to the summer, the more that we get into summer, things definitely just seem like they got better last year. And that's why I'm kind of hopeful, like the period that the races are set in this year, at least the first block is like when things were the most calm last year. So, yeah. yeah. And we feel it certainly in the UK, it feels like we should be a bit ahead of that this year. Like the curve is dropping off now instead of picking up now kind nice. of thing. So That's good. yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, it's not been easy to get there, but hopefully sure. it uh, will give us a good summer and much more normality than we've had for a, a wee while now. Yeah. Well, I hope so for you guys' case. I mean, I think we've had it pretty, pretty lucky here, but yeah. We shall see. Fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, well, we're um, we're getting close to the end of our time, so we should probably wrap up. But if people want to keep up to speed with what you're up to, where is the best place for them to head? Yeah, Jesse Malamed on Instagram is definitely all of my stuff. Everything goes through there, and then I'll eventually get my YouTube back up and running. And uh, there's a few new things coming in like the spring, so we'll see some more stuff there. And uh, yeah. Definitely, Instagram is probably the best. I, I I feel like I do a pretty good job of bringing people into most of what I do, not the everyday boring stuff and training stuff all the time, but definitely generally like what I'm what I'm up to. So, yeah. awesome, cool. Yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes to both of those so people can find it. And mm. uh, yeah, wish you all the best. Hopefully, uh, we have a, a better season than last year, but that you get on as well as you did last year. Yeah, thank and, you. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how it goes for you, man. Sweet. Well, thanks for the chat. It was a, it was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, until next time. Nice one. Cheers, Jesse. Thanks, Chris. All right, that's it for this episode with Jesse. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to Rocky Mountain for making this episode possible. You can find out more and check out what they have to offer by heading to bikes.com. A huge thanks to Crank Brothers too. I highly recommend you check out their new range of riding shoes, especially the versions with the boa closure. I'm loving riding both the mallet e-clip shoes and the stamp flat pedals, and I'm looking forward to putting more time in on them over the coming weeks. You can check them out at your local Crank Brothers stockist or at crankbrothers.com. Also, a massive thanks to Miss Spent Summers. You can get yourself a copy of their amazing 2020 yearbook Meltdown by heading to misspentsummers.com forward slash meltdown now. And if you use the code MELTDOWNTIME at the checkout, then you'll also get a free Miss Spent Summers wall calendar too. That offer runs till the end of March, so don't hang about. Head over to misspentsummers.com forward slash meltdown now. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get yourself a t-shirt, sweatshirt or hoodie by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the show. All right, you know what to do. Keep on spreading the word about the podcast. Tell your rider mate, share the episodes on your social media. It all makes a massive difference and it helps me keep this thing going. Also, if you've got a couple of minutes spare, then a review on iTunes is super helpful too. Okay, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 